Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Yeah, hello and welcome to Mojo Sports, the NFL show, season two, episode 17. My name is Dean Frost, and as always, I'm supported by the best panel in the business. No Stacey tonight, but we've got a pretty full crew here. We've got Alex, we've got Beck, and we've got Laura back. Great to have you back here at Mojo. All right, guys, there's, uh, you know, going through the DMs, having a look at the questions coming through, there's only really one team that's getting a lot of buzz right now at this moment, and it's all things Tampa Bay. Um, you know, they, they just love the drama, don't they? Everything weird and wonderful happens down there in Florida. So let's talk about Tampa Bay. We've got quite a few. I couldn't just pick one, so I'm going to fire them at you. Um, Beck, first of all, a little bit of time has settled now on the Brady retirement, non-retirement. Talk to me about it now. Like, now that a little bit of time has passed, were you surprised by this whole situation? Talk to me a little bit about the Brady retirement. You know what? I think nobody was overly surprised. I think they were more shocked that he retired in the first place. And the fact that he's come back, I think, is just like, oh, yeah, of course he was going to come back kind of thing. Because I think he's the type of player where no matter what franchise he goes to, no matter who's playing for him, they're going to welcome him back with open arms. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. So you want him to be a part of your team, even if it isn't as a starting position. He has so much knowledge to give to a team. So to just let him go, I think, was tough for the Bucks to do so, you mean? I mean, a couple of coaches, a couple of front office staff could have reached out and said, are you sure you're ready, you know? And then it could have just like tipped him over the top to be like, you know what, I'm not ready, I'm going to come back. And the fact that they'd made zero moves to replace him as a quarterback kind of meant that they, you know, didn't believe the retirement in the first place themselves. Yeah, it's definitely pretty interesting. You know, he's, he's pretty good at this football thing, but it just makes me wonder about his decision-making, whether he's a little bit indecisive away from football, you know, like whether he, he throws on his shirt and he kind of second-guesses himself and takes it off, whether he gets a little bit unsure as to what to cook for dinner. Um, Tom Brady deciding to retire and, and, and unretire. Um, Beck, I'm kind of with you. Maybe there was a little bit of science behind it because it's just not like him. It just sounds a little bit weird. Um, Laura, all right, speaking of, uh, well, I guess theories, let, let's throw it out there. Um, obviously, Bruce Arians, um, yeah, retires, gets promoted, demoted upwards into the front office. Um, talk to us a little bit about that because we're hearing that, you know, BA stood aside, um, you know, for, for the for the coaches that he kind of, you know, mentored up. Um, but, you know, other people are sort of saying, no, this is Tom Brady kind of moving, uh, you know, moving BA along. What, what's your thoughts on this BA situation? Was it BA's decision? Was it Brady? What's your thoughts on that one? I think after everything that happened last year, the negative attention that came from Bruce Aarons' relations with Antonio Brown, as we saw play out on the field and everything that was kind of going on, I think Brady definitely was like, look, if I am going to come back, I don't want any bull crap. I don't want anything happening. So I think a part of it was Brady being like, look, this is what I want from the team. This is the direction I want to go in. And for Bruce Aarons to actually step aside and bring in Todd Bowles, who he is close with, they do look to run a really similar regime there in Tampa. It's actually not going to change too much for Tom Brady, and he's still going to get to maintain that style of game that he likes. And so I think this is actually a really smart move and a great move by the organization to keep Brady happy, mix it up, but actually sort of maintain uh, that sort of championship style that, of course, we've been used to seeing them play for the last couple of years. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think they, they got on the phone and they said, you know, he said, look, these are my terms to come back. And 
Uh, you know, I guess we'll never know the truth until, you know, the books are written once everyone retires. You know, Brady's got a few more retirements and unretirements to do between now and, and then. But uh, when we do read that book, I think it's going to be uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Alex, uh, Laura touched on the new head coach in Todd Bowles. I've got to be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised because, let's be honest, Tampa Bay have two head coaches in waiting there in Tampa, in Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich. Um, if you had your choice, which way would you go when it comes to head coach position? Uh, I guess you can't go wrong, but, um, yeah, thoughts, Todd or Byron, where would you have gone with the, the head coach after BA? I think I would have stuck with Todd. I think that's the right decision for the Buccaneers moving forward. Um, I think there was interest in Todd from outside clubs as they were looking, you know, to get as other clubs were looking to get head coaches. Cause there was a lot of vacancies that became open as we know at the end of last season. So I think there might've been a little bit of ploy to keep him at the Buccaneers going, Hey, look, don't take any of those roles because we can give you this head head spot position at the Buccaneers. And then he still has, you know, his old head coach to kind of bounce off with, um, even though he's retired, so he's still he's still around and it's still being, you know, the the office with the Buccaneers. So I think, you know, can he be pulling some strings from behind? You know, Brian, can he be like, look, you should maybe be running this and Todd Bowles might do it? I doubt it, but you know, you you play into the theory, right? Um, but yeah, I think that was the right move for the Buccaneers for sure. It's, it's just so much drama, you know. I, I think, you know. You know, Brady didn't like B.A. butting into the playbook on the offensive side. Now he's got full control. With Todd being the head coach, he can continue to work with Byron. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this works out for Tampa because Todd's obviously had, um, you know, had a bit of a failure there at the Jets. So, obviously, the Jets and Tom Brady is a little bit of a different situation. But the reality is, is Leftwich is going to get another job next year. So, I reckon Byron's got one more year. Will they, you know, regret letting him go? Uh, very interesting situation little bit of a drama there at Tampa Bay. And, and again, you think about, you know, the, the teams that are going to be on hard knocks. I think it was recently announced that Detroit are going to be the next team. You know, it, we, we couldn't have gone with Tampa, right? Like someone with a little bit of uh, little bit of spice. But anyway, um, that's what's happening, the latest in Tampa Bay. But, you know, if we've learned anything from this offseason, it'll probably change tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, it's plenty of drama in the offseason. All right, guys, let's jump into our first segment for tonight, the huddle. Leave no regrets out there. That is what a real champion is made of. And for the Philadelphia Eagles, the long drought is over. How about those trees? A touchdown and a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Those will be the best memories. Yeah, and this week on the huddle, we're going to the capital, uh, Washington, and I'm going to try and get this out, Commanders, uh, finishing 7-10 and 10 last year. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a new era there. But, uh, Laura, I'm going to go straight to you because um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say your piece a little bit about, you know, some of the dysfunction and some of the challenges with this franchise. I think it all sort of flows back to one particular person there in that ownership position. Um, yeah, let, let's let's talk a little bit about why have the Washington franchise struggled for so many years? I mean, there isn't really one answer, but a big sort of area of concern is up in that front office and is with Dan Snyder. Everything that's starting to come out, you know, there seems to be more and more every day, latest updates coming in, what, about two days ago. I think that's clouded any potential success this team could have had. I think it weighs on Ron Rivera. I think it adds a lot of extra pressure both on the field and off the field. But more than anything, I think, especially last season, the football team 
was plagued by injury. I think that let them down big time, especially with Chase Young going out, you know, just issues across the board. I don't think they expected to lose Fitz so early and have Taylor thrown in the deep end so quickly. So I think what Washington needs is they just need consistency, no matter if that's on the field, if that's with the office, if that's with what their name's going to be. Um, I think that's been the biggest problem for them. And hopefully we can get a new leadership in there, get them a, a um, clean slate and get rid of Dan Snyder and hopefully give them a future. Yeah, Alex, it's a little bit disappointing because um, if we could somehow figure a way to get rid of the owner, I mean, there's so much potential in the franchise. Alex, there's so much complexity to this sport that we love, but if we strip it all the way back, it's a pretty simple game. It does appear we're moving into the era of best quarterback wins. Remember last year where we were jumping up and down saying, Washington, come on, what are we doing here? Like at that quarterback position, they're letting everyone sort of make all the moves. Um, You know, obviously they've got to be regretting that decision. We'll talk a little bit about the QB situation now, but if you can go back in time, Washington definitely made a mistake missing out on all of those talented quarterbacks that came through. Just a really weird decision to go with Fitz because, um, you know, we, we know what Fitz is. Yeah, I think they really regretted that one. But I genuinely think they thought that Fitz was going to come in and be that kind of experienced player that they needed in what was a young, technically, squad or offense at that time. I just, again, right, you take these older quarterbacks and shit happens. They get injured, and then you're kind of stuck with your young gun and Tyler Henneke. But I think Tyler stepped up, Taylor, Tyler, Henneke, you know, he stepped up when he needed to. And I think that shows like he was going for those touchdowns. He was doing everything he could because I think he knew that he was number two. So I think he was trying to show why he would be picked number one. But I mean, could we talk? We could be talking a similar story at the end of next year because we all know Carson Wentz is hanging out with him now. I mean, Beck, let's talk about it. So you feel like Washington, I guess, you know, fans will stick with you if you have a plan. I mean, I'm talking to a very hurt and upset Seattle um, Seahawks fan at the moment, so I'm sort of trying to uh, be respectful here, Beck. Uh, But uh, look, you know, when it comes to Washington and you come to fan bases, you'll, you'll stick with your team if there's a plan. It just doesn't feel like the commanders have got a plan here because they got pushed into the corner They've gone out and bought a quarterback. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the decision to get Carson Wentz because I guess it's not just the fact they went with Carson Wentz, but a contract that looks a little bit expensive. Um, anyway, what, what's your view on the Carson Wentz situation? Yeah, I get every team needs to go through a rebuild stage. Like players don't stay around forever. They don't stay healthy forever. You need to be able to be interchangeable and grow with the sport. And that comes with having, you know, off seasons where you are in the stage of rebuilding. But it feels like this team has been in the stage of rebuilding for some time. And usually the rebuild starts with a franchise quarterback and they just have not seemed to be able to pick up one. And I don't think that Carson Wentz is that franchise. I think they're kind of going in the opposite direction to what they need to be. Instead of picking up an experienced, you know, older generation player that's going to hang around for a season or two, they need to get someone set in that position that's going to be around for a long time, that's going to grow and learn with the team and be that franchise player for them. Because without that consistency in that quarterback position, your offense has no flow. Constantly bringing in a new quarterback every single year is going to be dismayed for your offense every single year. So you're not going to be able to be build. You're not going to be successful. You're not going to you know, grow as an offense together because it's constantly changing. So Carson Wentz, yes, he's a decent quarterback, but I don't think he's the quarterback for the commanders. 
Laura, it, it's the worst possible position to be in because, you know, if you have a great quarterback, you're paying him a fortune, you know, that that that's fine. But if you don't have that guy, so, some, some franchises, when they're going through that rebuild, they go with that younger player, someone very, very cheap, and then you can load up the rest of the team and, you know, I, I guess, you know, crawl uh, towards the playoffs. You know, obviously, you know, Alex, we, we poke a little bit of fun at, at Tyler Taylor Heineke. You know, he plays some some weeks, it's it's, it's Taylor, he's doing quite well. The next week, it's Tyler. He's, he's thrown the ball to the opposition like Carson Wentz. Talk to us about your opinion about Carson Wentz and, you know, is there a huge difference between Wentz and Heineke? Is the money worth it? Yeah, where do, where do you think this puts Washington? I don't think there's a huge difference, and that's probably why they went the way they did. Um, because I think Heineke is going to step back and be that fill-in if Wentz goes down. And let's be honest, we've seen Wentz go down season after season, and especially in the last kind of two to three. So if I was Heineke, I'd just be sitting there just waiting because we know it's going to happen to Wentz, unfortunately. But I think they are similar. I just think Wentz probably has a little more experience with injury and with playing. So I guess we'll see how that goes. But but I do think they're similar. And I think, I don't know if Heineke has a lot to learn from Wentz, but I do think they're similar kind of quarterback where that might be the, the small consistency they can keep in their offense. Yeah. So that goes to say, why pay Carson Wentz all that money when you can spend that money picking up other key players for your offense or for your defense when he's not going to, if he does get injured, Heineke is going to have to be thrown in anyway. And if Heineke doesn't have much to learn from him, it's almost like, a waste of a position. Like coaches are going to do a better job train, like getting Heineke to a point where he is that franchise quarterback and giving him game time is like one of the best kind of training things that you can do for him to throw him in and give him game time, give him experience to make him that franchise quarterback for them. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I reckon is maybe what they tried to do was go out, get another guy similar to Fitz, obviously pay a lot more than they needed to and a lot more than they should have. But, you know, they were in the conversation for Russell Wilson. I would have liked to see them put in a trade package with picks, with Chase Young, sacrifice to actually really rebuild a core of this team, which is what a quarterback, especially one like Russell Wilson, could have done. So the only sort of thing that makes sense from my perspective is maybe they're biding time, biding time, because they haven't seen any quarterbacks that they want or that they think would be a friend, the franchise player that they're looking for. So they're just sort of waiting to see what happens, what they can grab in the draft, but it doesn't make sense. It's not the right move. And it's, you know, just another year of them being stagnant really is what this, is what this brings. I mean, the one saving grace to Washington, as Laura said, they're played with so many injuries this year is watching this defense kind of come back next year. I think that's going to be with so much, stuff that's going on with their offense. We knew their offense was always kind of wishy-washy. That's always kind of been Washington's thing a little bit. But this defense, like, looking at it, especially with Chase Young, like, him coming out of Ohio State, like, he's my boy. Like, I've always loved watching him play, so I will always be his biggest supporter. But I think this defense, when they're healthy, I think that is going to be Washington's saving grace and their sweet spot. So they've got to keep that part of their the field clean and healthy and safe because that's going to be where they get their wins. Yeah, well, let's go through some of the positive. And again, I just feel like it was a panic buy with Carson Wentz. And if you're in the AFC West and everyone's got all of these these super quarterbacks, maybe, uh, maybe, but, um, you know, Washington, I just feel like they, they didn't need to panic. You know, you look at their competition, Dallas, Philadelphia, the Giants. <laughs> I mean, what's the, what's, anyway. So let, let's have, uh, to, um, to your point, 
um, Alex. Really interesting situation. The first thing that comes to mind when you think about Washington is they're completely unbalanced. One side of the football is a hundred times better than the other. So obviously they've stacked it. They've stacked it every single draft. They just went defense, 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 and they've been a dominant defense. One of the things that was a little bit of a concern is last year. You know the production wasn't exactly there. It's very, very difficult to get a read on that. Laura, I, I know that you followed the Washington defense for a little while. What's your opinion on this? Because there's two camps. It was just a it was just a, a one-year thing. They're going to bounce back, or were we starting to see a little bit of a decline? I just wonder whether some of this culture, some of the challenges on offense kind of seeped into the defense. What's your opinion? Are we going to see a big bounce back from, from the Washington defense? I think it's going to, you know, take them a little bit. Hopefully we'll, you know, look to see how Chase Young pulls up the beginning of this season. If he's game fit, then I think they've definitely got it. They're definitely in with a chance. I think he's kind of the main hope for this defense and the main leader, I think too, that they're going to look to. But, you know, I really think that they need some serious help on offense. I think that's, you know, that is the heart and the soul of the team. And, you know, defense can win games, but you need an offense to steer the ship. So, Look, I think they'll come back and they'll perform really well, but they're going to need an offense to kind of boost that and to maintain that throughout the season. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to be have to be really strategic about what they do in the draft as well. Uh, you know, Carson Wentz, you've got a pretty good running back there in Antonio Gibson, uh, J.D. McKissick as well. Uh, scary Terry uh, McLaurin there in the wide receiver position. Curtis Samuels, a little bit of talent, but it's the depth. As soon as there's one injury, a bit of a lack of form, someone goes missing, the defense kind of corrects itself and, um, you know, your opposition takes a player away. Way That's where Washington really, really struggle. And then obviously all eyes are going to be on that offensive line as to whether they can protect Wentz because what we know about Wentz is he loves to give the football to the opposition and he certainly does that when he's under pressure. So anyway, it's going to be very, very interesting. Stay tuned to see what happens in the draft. Um, can they sort of perform a couple of miracles to get this back where they really uh, they really need to be um, You know, when it comes to the upcoming season? All right, guys, uh, difficult question for you. Uh, Laura, I guess the... Seven and ten was their record last year. Pretty simple question for you is is what do you think they're gonna do here, Washington? Do you think they're gonna go better than seven wins next season? I do. I think they're gonna have a winning season. I think they're gonna be a contender for the division. Um you know, I like to sort of see them around about maybe ten wins. That's where I'd kind of I'd like to see them pull up. Oh, look, it's difficult. It's difficult to have confidence in this. Look, I I'm going to say I'm going to say that this is going to be an eight or nine win team. Uh, I just for me, it, it's just as simple as handing the handing the ball off and running the ball as much as possible. The only the only sort of hesitation I have is Carson Wentz had the best running back in in the league in Jonathan Taylor at the Colts, and somehow he somehow messed that up. So again, he's got another talented running back room there. Hopefully, he doesn't get too flamboyant with his wide receivers and try and um, overplay his hand. Um, so for me, I'll give him a, a couple more wins. But yeah, it's uh, it's, it's going to be interesting here, Alex. Yeah, I'm going to go like eight or nine wins with you, Dan, on that one. I think. What we could see is they're going to be one of those teams, I think, that'll sit on the bubble in the playoff picture. Um, and I think they're going to make like an end of season kind of push just based on their teams and what happens throughout the season. I think that could be their kind of strong suit there. But I see nine or eight and being on that bubble where I think it's going to come down to if this team loses or draws with this team, like they're going to sit on that fringe. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that outcome will go next year. And Beck, you get the final, uh, you get the final call on this one. 
Yeah, this is an interesting one because I feel like what this team needs to do is draft for depth, not for starting positions. So they need to be able to, like you said, they have great starting players, but as soon as someone goes out and gets injured, they don't have a replacement. So they need to really work on their depth. And if they can do that in the draft, I'm with you guys, like a eight or nine, maybe not a winning season, but definitely an improvement. But if, you know, an injury happens, I'm like probably not as good as what they did this year if they can't maintain the health of their team. All right, guys, let's jump into our next segment for tonight, the match. The most anticipated match in history, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Yeah, and we continue uh, keeping our eye on the NFL draft. Not long now until yeah, it's one of, the, one of the best times of the year as we, you know, all teams, they, they have a little bit of a sparkle in their eye and they think all's going to be good. I'm speaking to myself here as a New England uh, Patriots supporter. been a very weird off-season. But uh, anyway, let's dive into tight ends this week. And uh, Alex, you've got a couple of um, interesting players here. You know, it's very rare that you see tight ends, you know, discussed in the top five, the top ten. We're in that situation again. But, you know, we, we can't undervalue this position because when you think about some of the best tight ends to play, they have been later round picks. So, again, probably going to see that again in this year's draft. But talk talk to us about um, two of our contenders tonight in the match. Yeah, I think these are good tight ends to be talking about. But, again, like, as you said, tight ends aren't really like when we talk about draft, we always talk about quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs. And I think tight ends get a bad rap because when you look at a lot of teams, their tight ends are their bread and butter, right? So you look at the Ravens who have a great system with their tight ends. You look at the Chiefs who have a great system with their tight ends. You look at, you know, even the Eagles at one point had a great system with their tight ends. The Chicago Bears have had a great system with their tight ends for a while. So I think this is a very undervalued um position and it's not talked about enough but definitely with these two players in the draft i think these guys are again going to be these players that come in and they're going to make a difference for whatever team they get on get in but i think these two they can't sit behind another tight end i think these boys need the starting positions for whatever franchise they go to yeah it's going to be really interesting so we've got trey mcbride uh from colorado state let's start there um laura thoughts on trey um got a little you know got an interesting background you know, when, when you think about, you know, tight ends, you're looking for someone big, physical, someone that can bring a little bit of an edge to your offense. You know, you can sort of see that in some of, uh, in some of Trey's physical at- attributes. You can totally see that. I mean, as a former defensive player, he really brings a lot to the position, a lot of grunt, and he can hold his own. He's physical. He's a great space blocker. And, you know, he's quick. He's had a 4.54 40-yard dash at his pro day. You know, really showed out, did well. I think one thing he needs to work on is some of his routes are a little bit messy. He needs to clean them up a little bit. But that comes with repetition, getting into a good system, like Alex mentioned, where he can be sort of nurtured and looked after. But definitely a starter, and I think definitely the the number one pick for a tight end in this draft. Beck, you, you, you know, you talk, I guess you can't draft to please fans, but, you know, when you look at tight ends, and especially if you go a little bit early, you know, you sort of get a bit of a sigh from fans. But, you know, then, you, you, again, once the season starts, you're certainly not complaining when you have a little bit of depth in this position. And, again, you talk about physicality, you, you talk about, you know, some of the, I, I guess, the different schemes you're able to play. It definitely opens up your offense if you can find someone with a little bit of talent. It is challenging to find a tight end that can take that step up from college into the NFL. 
Talk to us a little bit about Trey because, um, again, he's put in some really strong performances there at Colorado State. But, yeah, it's going to be a big step up when he uh, when he's drafted in the NFL. Yeah, I think any position moving up from college into the NFL is a huge change. But I think this tight end position is one specifically where it is, you know, quite a big leap to go up into the NFL and still compete and play consistently the way that the team needs you to play because tight end, you need to be a multifaceted player. You need to be able to block. You need to be able to run routes. You need to be able to catch the ball, you know, and, you know, be that bread and butter, like Barker said, to be able to be that reliable go-to player for your quarterback. And I think Trey McBride has shown that he's pretty good at being that player throughout college and can, you know, step up to the plate and, take in a couple of clutch catches and really be there as a reliable tight end. Because as we've seen in the NFL the last few years, tight ends are key players. Like some of the best players in the league at the moment are tight ends. So we need to not underestimate the skill level that they bring to the team and, you know, the options that they add to an offense by being that that key player. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. While he didn't have like a lot of touchdowns, I think what's interesting about Trey McBride is that his average was 12.5 on the yardage that he was getting. So I think if you're looking at that from a tight end perspective, I think as a team, you're going, well, at least if I'm on second or third down, I know that I can throw it to this guy and he's at least going to get me a first down if nothing else. So he might not be your touchdown tight end, like, you know, probably like Travis Kelsey, right? Um, but he's definitely going to be someone who will get you that first down when you're kind of struggling on that second and third. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, well, let's flip it over to his competitor tonight. Uh, well, a great player coming out of Texas A&M, Jalen uh, Wattemeyer. <sighs> Laura, let's talk a little bit about this because – you know, it's hard to, it's going to be really interesting to see where some of these players land because when I think about quarterback play and there are so many quarterbacks that are on the hot seat that are under pressure, when things go sideways in the pocket, you know, obviously they have a bit of a, a favorite, um, you know, receiver and it's often the tight end, the ability to kind of play that vertical game, have someone that's a little bit, you know, a little bit more physical and someone that is just going to, you know, to, to Alex's point earlier, get you that first down, get you get you out of, out of trouble. Jalen's certainly a player that can do that. And obviously he's come through the, the SEC, which is, um, you know, a little bit of a harder path. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think what a great tight end does to a team is it gives you further options. If you do have an O-line that isn't performing exactly where you want it to be, you got another guy out there that can assist you with, blocks or you can get there and move the ball exactly like we've been talking about I think a good tight end would be great for the Jets I think that's what they need you know to kind of get that offense moving a little bit move forward but I think you know every team can benefit from having a great tight end it's just who actually sees the benefit right now in these picks that they can grab pretty cheap yeah, Becca, you know, obviously you're not drafting tight ends for their for their touchdown and their production there but you know they they you're not a head coach in the NFL if, if you don't have a little bit of uh, arrogance about you, a little bit of an ego. And, you know, sometimes they look at some of these players and they're like, okay, well, that was their production in college. But, you know, bring him into my system and let's see what 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 we can sort of come up with here. Again, we're trying not to compare a lot of these young players with the Kelseys and the top tight ends in the game. But, you know, in saying that, you know, there, there will be coaches in the league that will be looking at their tape and thinking that they can be productive in the red zone. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like as a tight end, you almost, you know, uh, like 
playing your hardest to show that you are worth being drafted because like we said they don't aren't typically those high draft players they come in the second and the third rounds but for a coach to pick a tight end they're picking someone that they can rely on someone that's you know going to be a good blocker and step in as that six o-lineman if they need them to be especially if you are you know a run heavy offense and then you know someone who's going to be that option as well to pass out to and I think for um Jalen, he's that great. He he's a great blocker. He's very strong. He's very physical. You know, he's not. You know, hasn't had as many catches or yards as his matchup, but he's you know quite quite a good 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 option to have in that position. As you mentioned, he doesn't have as many like yards as his opposition. And I think for me, looking at Jalen and looking at his production in the last couple of years, yes, I think. You know, he had three wins in his season, um, you know, but they he lost, like, lost to strong competitors in LSU and, Miss, and Ole Miss, right? So these are teams that are strong defensively. So I'd be a little worried if I was drafting Jalen, I think, for a team. While I do think he needs a, the right system for him, where he's probably not utilized as much, but he's still a key player. Like, again, like if they're struggling second or third down, because he does average about 12.9, 11 kind of yards, um, I, I would have liked to have seen him maybe have one more year, one more year at Texas A&M just to get a little more development under his belt. I think that might go against him in the draft. Um, yeah, I just I think if you're going to pick, I think Jalen probably needed just a little bit more experience, a little more production, I would say, out of his final year. But I also think under the right coach and the right system he could fit in very, very well. Like not all tight ends are used like a Travis Kelsey, right? Like we, that's, you know, like you said, once in a blue moon, we're not comparing these guys to being, you know, a a fifth or sixth receiver on the field. We're comparing them to what the position is required. And in a team that needs a good hard blocking tight end that is a second option as a receiver, I think he will be a very good choice to be that position. All right, guys. Well, we can't sit on the fence when it comes to the match. We've got to pick a player there. Alex, you've gone in and you've said Trey. Beck, you've gone in and defended Jalen. So I think that leaves me and Laura to kind of, you know, battle this one out in terms of who's going to win. Look, it is particularly challenging. And for me, it's all about value. You know what I mean? Like if these guys sort of slide up the draft board, that's when I get a little bit nervous. You know, probably the second round, you know, even is a little bit rich. But, you know, you get these guys in the third or fourth round, and, I, and I'm all about that. Sign me up. So for me, look, I'm going to go Jalen um, just because he's come out of the SC, uh, SEC and I'm a little bit of a snob when it comes to that type of football. But, uh, yeah, Laura, what, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I'm going to completely back. I think Alex hit it on the head. He needed another year at college and definitely, definitely try for this one. I think he's your go-to guy. I think he's a guy that's already going to come out and perform and I would be worried otherwise. All right, guys, let's jump into our final segment for tonight, Rapid Fire. Hey, we're going to talk all about that and a whole bunch of other things. What you need to know tonight. Sincere apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon. Oh, my boss is singing Closing Time. Maybe that's what you're doing. Yeah, and this week on Rapid Fire, we dive into the Cincinnati Bengals and think about what do they need to improve their roster Spoiler alert, it was the offensive line. So, Laura, I guess I'm going to go to you and ask what they need to improve now. But let's start off with um, they didn't waste any time in terms of cleaning up that offensive line. You know, you'd pretty much be fired if you didn't address it. It was pretty historically bad last season. So, Lyle Collins comes in left tackle. Ted Karras comes in center. Alex Kappa on that right right tackle. Um, Laura, quickly talk a little bit about that 
that was a no-brainer. But great to see they actually go out and spend because they have been criticised in the past as, you know, sort of uh, penny-pinching. And then, um, yeah, where, where to now for the Bengals in terms of that next position to improve? Yeah, I mean, you say someone would have got fired, but, you know, no one's been fired in Seattle and what we lost Russell Wilson over not cleaning up our offensive line. So once again, a little bit of a touchy subject, but, you know, they went out and did what they had to do. They cleaned up, they signed these guys to long-term contracts as well. Most I think the three of them were averaging around three to four years. Um, you know, they've gone and they've shown Joe Burrow that they're serious. They probably listened to him, his concerns, what he needs, and they also want to protect their quarterback and keep him healthy. You know, I think there are so many options for Cincinnati in this draft. They have eight picks really spread out across the board. There's a lot that they can do. And I think there's a lot that they're going to try and achieve very cheaply. I mean, the number one rule with drafting is always take the best available. And they'll have to assess that when when we see what plays out when the draft does take place. You know, to back up that O-line, I would love to see them um, take Tyler Linderbaum center. You know, if he's sitting there, I think you forget your plan. You just grab the man, take him, lock him up. Um, but otherwise, you know, they they definitely need some more assistance and a little bit more sparks. Their defense would love to see them going for a cornerback. So they've got a lot of room to make a lot of different decisions, but that's definitely what I'd like to see. Could you imagine if they got Tyler? That would be, you know, again, you, you try not to give, um, you know, franchises too much credit before a snap's <laughs> being played. But if they got Tyler, and they, they may even try and sneak up a little bit because, again, he's going to be a little bit unfashionable, but you know, spoiler, he could be, you know, amongst the handful of best players in this year's draft. He just doesn't play a sexy position, which will go against him. Look, for me, um, I would be, you know, as, as a team that, you know, has now invested quite a lot in the offensive line, I would start to look for a little bit of value. Um, David Ajabo just done his Achilles. Now, I love to go after highly talented players that pick up those injuries before the draft. It's just something where if you're a high-quality football team, you can sort of you know put them on IR. You can even lose a season and kind of redshirt them and bring them in the following year. Um, I think there's a little bit of value there. So David Ajabo, I think he's going to slide. He was a top 20 pick before he did his Achilles. If you get him late, you're getting a lot of value bank him and I think on the defensive side of the ball when he comes back fit and healthy um, yeah I think that would be um, yeah really a really positive thing for the Bengals defense um, Beck thoughts on this one they could go a few places here but again they're trying to trying to take that next step after that disappointing Super Bowl yeah 100% I think it's super important for them to make sure they make the right step because I think there's a lot of momentum that they finished that season with regardless, you know, that they lost the Super Bowl. They can build, like continue where they left off this season. And I think for them, like their offense, they've done a really good job at building such a young, powerful, you know, offense with Joe Barr and Jamar Chase. But that's kind of all they have at the moment because I think Joe Mixon in that running back position is getting a little bit old. I don't know how long he's going to be able to stay around for. So I think, think for them picking up, you know, a young quarterback that can sit for a year or come in and kind of do a dual system with Joe Mixon. Um, And I'm looking at James Cook from Georgia, who's, you know, the little brother of Dalvin Cook, who we all know is, you know, Minnesota's best player at the moment, Um, actually before he got injured. But yeah, like when you look at what he's done in college, he's, you know, kind of like a mini version of Dalvin Cook. And to have him come up into that Bengals team, he's, you know, a hard runner. He can receive the ball as well. He's kind of 
what I think that offense is missing just to add that next next layer of threat to the defense. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good call. All right, Alex. So you know, I, I'd probably get fired. I'm out, I'm out here drafting. You know, guys that you know with broken Achilles tendons or in a moon boot. So I'm probably getting marched out of the front office with my drafting style. But uh, yeah, where would you go here? There, there, there are still a few little holes here uh, there at Cincy. Yeah, for me, I'd try to bolster their defense, um, especially their secondary, and look at a safety. I mean, there aren't many safeties going first round that I think they should kind of be looking at. I mean, there's no way that they're going to get Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. It's just not not going to happen to the next best, and it pains me to have to talk about this guy because he's a Michigan player. But Daxton Hill, I think, is probably the next best safety for him. I think when you look at his stats, he's probably actually a little more – He's he was a little more productive in his final year um, over Kyle Hamilton. So that's kind of interesting to see if, you know, Kyle Hamilton slides at all in the draft. Um, but, yeah, I don't want to talk about this guy too much because, again, he's a Michigan fan, but – you know, if you're going to draft somebody, you might as well draft a safety. And I guess if you can't get Kyle Hamilton, Daxon Hill is the next best one. All right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have. Just want to thank my amazing panel, always bringing the heat as we talk all things NFL. And to our listeners, really do appreciate your ongoing support. Continue to download the podcast, share with family and friends. And until next week, we'll catch you then. You have been listening to Mojo Sports. Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.